This is your go-to podcast dedicated to getting the exclusive scoop from the industry's top influencers that are helping to shape the cybersecurity, audit, and IT governance landscape. Tune in as we dig deep and learn their motivators, explore their industry journey, and investigate their ideas and predictions on what the future holds. This is Isaka's CyberPros. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm John Brandt, Director of Professional Practices and Innovation here at ISACA, and this is CyberPros. Today, I'm really excited to be interviewing one of my teammates, uh, an esteemed colleague here, uh, Safia. She penned this article, an industry article titled, Fostering Trust by Eliminating Dark Patterns. Um, reminder for the group, right, uh, at the end of last year, in part with my promotion, I took on additional portfolios beyond cybersecurity. And be honest with you, the privacy one is just one of them that I absolutely love. Safi is a rock star. She's got a really good handle on it. And when this article crossed my desk, I was super excited. So welcome, Safia. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. I was super jazzed when we got this uh, article across the desk. You know, I want to be able to get the message out uh, loud and far. So let's just dive right in. What exactly are privacy dark patterns? So before I talk about privacy dark patterns, I'll just talk about dark patterns in general because they exist in a lot of areas other than privacy. So think of this like that monthly subscription that you have that automatically renews. It doesn't tell you it's going to renew and it is next to impossible to cancel that subscription. Or like that gym membership that's really hard to cancel. You have to call someone and their office hours are only two hours a day. And that's basically what a dark pattern is. It's a method of tricking consumers into acting in a way that they probably wouldn't ordinarily want to. So in the examples I mentioned before, it would be people continuing to pay pay for subscriptions that they don't really want because the hassle of canceling is just too much. We're also starting to see these in privacy though. And so a lot of these are about collecting consent that data subjects might not ordinarily give. We see this manifesting in a few different ways. One of the most common things you'll see is privacy cookie notices that are really hard to opt out of, right? There's an accept button and there isn't a decline button, or you maybe have to go through three or four menus to get to the decline button. That's an example of a privacy dark pattern because it forces users to act in a way that they may not want to. They may not be okay with cookie collection. However, because the process of opting out of it is so complicated, they just go along with it. And I'll be honest, I've absolutely done that. I've been Googling something, found a weird website, and I just said accept all cookies because I needed the information right away. But ultimately, I think this is something that organizations need to move away from, not just in privacy, but in general. I'm hoping we can in the next few years really do a better job about identifying and eliminating our dark patterns. Those are great points there. You know, I, I think about you use the gym membership and that's a great example, right? And, and most gyms are still that way. Whereas like your online, your online streaming, they definitely have gotten better. Um, I could think of even like credit cards, right? You know, mm -hmm. even you, if you want to close one, it's like, yeah. Are you sure? And then let me transfer you. And hey, we've got this promotion and it's really irritating. And this is why I was really excited about this article calling attention to it. Because to your point, though, you know, you had said, you know, it's cumbersome to opt out. In some cases, you can't, right? We mm -hmm. talk about like um, user agreements and whatnot, very lengthy 
Talk to us about that, right? And just how, what it is today and what uh, legislation is and is not doing in that regard. Yeah, the user agreements is one of those really complicated areas because, of course, legal teams tell you it needs to be super long because it needs to include certain things. I get that from a legal perspective. It has to say that. But the average person doesn't have time to read that. And even if they had the time, they might not understand it, right? Most people who aren't lawyers aren't going to be able to understand every single thing in those user agreements. So that's one considerable challenge that we're seeing. In a previous article, industry article that I did for ISACA, I talked about a proposed TLDR Act, which on the internet is short for too long, didn't read. Um, and it was basically saying that there should be nutrition label style privacy notices when you go to a website. So basically just telling you, here's what it's collecting, here's what it's doing, which I think is a great idea in theory. But the big issue, not just with that act, but with the way that our user licensing agreements are right now, is we don't really empower data subjects, right? There isn't much you can do. It's either you use our service and you agree to our terms or you don't use it. And sometimes we have to use services either for work or because it helps us in some way to gather information. But unfortunately, a lot of agreements are just written in a way where they're hard to understand. But even if people could understand it and had something that they objected to, there's really no mechanism for people to push back and say, I don't approve of this processing or I don't approve of you collecting this kind of data. Unfortunately, we're kind of at an all or nothing point right now. And unfortunately, that's something that I think needs to change. So you bring up a good point there, right? And this is really, in my in my opinion, this is this nexus between privacy and security, right? Because security should theoretically be anchored in least privilege and need to know. And if you look at something like the app stores, right? Most, this is really where we see it manifested, right? Like website or enterprise user agreements to use services, okay, with illegal ease. We don't like it, but it's kind of like it's an unnecessary evil at this point, right? But in the app store, and again, this could be anything from free stuff to, you know, to your enterprises that offer some kind of app where we see an escalation of privileges being requested there. And to your point, the user is not empowered to push back and say, okay, no, I don't want you to have access to my camera or my contacts because why should you, right? Yeah, I think it's interesting that you mentioned the App Store specifically because Apple's app tracking transparency framework um, was really remarkable in that regard. Uh, so on the App Store, a lot of apps are now required to say what data they collect. Uh, now, there's, of course, some issues with this because it's just kind of the honor system as of right now. Um, I'm sure there are some apps that are kind of predatory about it. And I think the other issue, too, is a lot of people don't realize what's the big deal? What's the big deal if this app has access to my address book? What's the big deal if it has access to my microphone? That's a whole separate issue of educating the average internet user, smartphone user, et cetera. Um, but I do think there are strides that are being made as far as transparency goes. Um, is it enough? Absolutely not. I think there's still a lot more work to go. But I do know that Apple and Android have been doing a pretty good job about trying to get apps to be more transparent. You know, absolutely. Um... The, the TLDR one, really, that was another good article. And I really, the relevance of, of that point is to, is to the plain language for, for individuals. Because to your point, you know, and, and I think, I think it's safe to say here in the United States, we're probably the worst offenders of data privacy, right? Cause we, 
data is highly monetized here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's why somebody like me, I'm really skeptical about what, whether we'll ever see any meaningful privacy legislation just because mm-hmm. of how, how the inner workings, you know, and, and whatnot. But so you, you talked about what dark patterns are and privacy dark patterns. Any further insights as to why they're common? The first reason they're so common that gives us a little bit of hope is that I think it's unintentional. I think a lot of organizations may not know what dark patterns are, or they may not be aware of what dark patterns they have at play. So I think there's a lot of organizations that have things in place that were maybe put forward by not a privacy team, you know, Perhaps it's marketing opt-in emails that aren't run by privacy. And so privacy is unaware that there are dark patterns there. So I think that's a big part of it. But the other thing that you did talk about was regulations. And a lot of laws and regulations require consent in order to collect and process data. Now, the challenge with that is some organizations are so focused on processing this data, they don't really care at what cost it comes. And so they're willing to trick people into giving up their consent into doing it. And I think that's one of the reasons that dark patterns are so pervasive is that a lot of people and a lot of organizations just need that data and they don't really care how they get it. Savvy forever the optimist here, right? But <laughs> so let's talk about marketing here for a second, right? Because you went down that rabbit hole and, and marketing is a, there's a human science right? Manipulation component to it, right? Since the mm-hmm. beginning of time, we're going to make some, some ads, some language, some, some campaign to persuade people, right? So this is just, it's another tool in the proverbial toolbox, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the interesting thing is I think it actually is going to down the line have a much more negative effect. Sure, maybe somebody opens that email, maybe somebody subscribes to that thing. But I think when they realize, wait a minute, why do you have all this information? What are you doing with this? That's going to cause a lot of harm and any potential marketing gains that may have existed are quickly going to be overrun. I think what I like about the fact that, you know, it, it is called out as dark pattern, there is a negative connotation. So maybe, so it, for those that where it was unintentional, maybe it prompts, you know, a behavioral change. Hopefully th- that's the outcome and not us just call it something softer, you know, just to, so it kind of passes the sniff test. What are some consequences of an enterprise using dark patterns? So the biggest one, and I think the one that organizations need to be most concerned with is a loss of trust. So like I mentioned before, people might say, okay, it's fine. You can track me or you can have my email address or whatever information you need. But when they actually start to understand what the implications of that are, I think it becomes much more significant. And it can be the kind of thing that makes customers leave. Um, But also when we talk about privacy, I don't need to be dramatic, but a lot of times a privacy violation could potentially mean the difference between life or death, right? Uh, One of the common examples used in the privacy community is if somebody has an abusive ex-partner and they really need their information kept private so that this person doesn't get their hands on it, that truly could potentially be a life or death situation. So I think the biggest thing that organizations need to think about when it comes to dark patterns is, are you going to lose trust? And are you potentially going to harm your customers? Because that's something you can't come back from. Okay, now some people might not buy that. So if you don't buy that, the California Privacy Rights Act, the CPRA, and the Colorado Privacy Act here in the United States do not allow the use of dark patterns to gain consent. So if you think you can try to game the consent system by using dark patterns, 
that's not the case. And then even if you aren't subject to those, there is a potential for other consequences. Um, for example, just this year, we saw Google being sued by a few different attorneys general in a couple different states because of the use of dark patterns. And I think the other big thing is it's going to affect your reputation, especially if word spreads that you're doing something that's undesirable or that people are being forced to act in a way that they don't want to act. That's ultimately going to have an effect on your bottom line. Yeah, those, those are some interesting points that you bring up. And I do buy into every one of those use cases that you give, right? When we talk about cyber incidents, right, aka or just specifically a breach, typically we're, we're looking at, you know, the, what comes to mind is people's PII, some credit card data or whatnot. But the reality is, is that computers have become a weapon of choice in all crimes right now. And so for bad actors that know what to target, this actually, this is very much a, a risky proposition, right? And, and again, the more information you collect, I think the more dangerous it is. And as I hear you talk, the thing that comes to my mind right now is, are organizations really giving due care to this type of data and, and protecting it, right? Because if you're only worried about protecting the proverbial crown jewels, this ends up being low-hanging fruit, and it may not be protected to the level that it needs to. Anything that you're seeing out there, any other reporting speaking about that? You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think you're right. I think a lot of organizations are just kind of doing the bare minimum. You know, we have to protect personal data because of GDPR or because of CCPA. Um, they're not really going that further step. This was kind of supported um, for, in our state of privacy survey. Uh, we saw a lot of organizations aren't just protecting privacy from an ethical perspective, you know, saying that it's the right thing to do, so we're going to do it. Uh, some organizations do, but a lot of organizations weigh this with the compliance. And so they say, yeah, we should protect privacy. It's important to do. Let's take a look at what we're required to do based on GDPR, CCPA, et cetera. Coming on the heels of ISACA uh, announcing, right, their uh, digital trust initiative, right, in, in pursuit of it. And I, you know, obviously, I think privacy ends up becoming a key part of this, you know, moving forward. And it might end up being the one that gains more visibility only because of you talk about some of the lawsuits that are out there. You know, some are going to be like, well, if you're a major tech mogul, those fines, how much impact are they really having, right? If it's the if it's the cost of doing business and, and if it's a, a write-off, then do they really care? And I think that's the thing for me. Like ultimately we want to educate, we want people to kind of operate with uh, you know some kind of common norms in a world that doesn't have any, right? Mm -hmm. Looking at the patterns that are out there, right? And, and you, in in your article, you talked about some different ones, and, and and we've, and I think most people have seen them where you, you know, there's a some kind of pop up, and you try to close, and like the, you know, maybe the X is subdued or something. Mm -hmm. What else is out there that you potentially have seen? 
Yeah. So I think one of the big places, like you mentioned, that you see them is in the user interface. It's really hard to find. The X button is so hard to see, but the user interface is very common. Another common place that we see them is just in really hard to find settings. Sometimes you have to go through multiple, multiple, multiple menus to adjust your privacy settings. And this may not seem like a big deal, but it's important to remember that Odds are most people listening to this podcast right now are a little bit more technologically inclined. So for anybody who's not quite as digitally literate, dark patterns are ultimately going to affect them and harm them more than you or I, for example. We also see it a lot of times in collecting completely unnecessary information. Just the other day, I was trying to find an ottoman online, and I found a new website. I went to it. I found it through Google search. I tried to click on it, and they wouldn't let me look at the page unless I gave them my email address. I hadn't done anything. There was no reason they needed that information to show me the ottoman, so I left that site. But a lot of people might just enter that information, and then they have their email address with a company that they probably don't want to have their email address. Uh, We also see, like we mentioned before, there's a lot of jargon that we see in privacy notices. Um, Again, this might be one of those unintentional dark patterns, but if you're saying, you know, we have a privacy policy, people should know what we're doing, but they can't understand it, that's going to be a little bit of an issue. And then we also see the flip side being a big issue of using really plain but manipulative language. Um, I see this sometimes on websites where they ask for my email address to save 20%. And instead of saying no thanks or something, the button I have to click says, I hate saving money, which of course isn't true. But it is potentially enough to manipulate or nudge people into providing information that they didn't originally want to provide. E-commerce sites are notorious for that right now. I I can't think of a single uh, site that I've been to of late that you go in there, then you do have that pop-up for savings, right? And so even if you don't like saving money, we'll give you a 10% off coupon to collect your email. So, you know, when people say, you know, okay, well, everything has a cost, right? You know, Mm -hmm. every piece of our data, there is a monetary figure on it. In some cases, it's a gamble. To your point, right, we we know that our audience is largely more technical. They, they kind of understand the market. And, and that's where kind of this professional advocacy for us, we have, you know, kind of this responsibility to educate others in our respective circles and all. But I can't help but think like, so for small to medium enterprises govern, a, you know, they are a large part of the world at, at the end of the day. Um, they're relying on tech moguls and, and large service providers. That when I think of everything that's going on with dark patterns and whatnot, you talked about some default privacy settings. The thing that comes to mind for me is social media and, and the platforms where you can easily come out of the gate. And we know, you know, that some platforms have they've gotten better over time. But it's still not as ideal. And we see this similarly in in the security space where things are are typically wide open to because of interoperability. And same thing with with privacy is it's kind of this gamble of, well, we're not going to be the most restrictive until somebody tells us we can't. Yeah, I think the social media example is especially interesting because that's people voluntarily oversharing a lot of information. But I think that also goes to the idea of people aren't aware of how information from one source could be combined with information from another source to pretty clearly identify them. There's one case, I want to say it was in Japan, of a famous celebrity, she's a young woman, who posted photos on Instagram, just, you know, 
out and about. Um, one, she posted at a train station saying, I'm waiting for the train. And she had a stalker who looked at the background from that, uh, was able to determine what train station it is by correlating that image with something from Google Images. And then based on other photos she was posting, he was able to determine which building was her apartment unit. And based on the way that the sunlight was coming in during her her Instagram lives, I think, was able to determine which side of her building she lived on. And he was unfortunately able to use that information to assault her. The issue is there's just so much information out there that it's pretty easy to identify any of us and to learn a, quite a bit about all of us. Um, and so I think social media is one of those really interesting cases of information from that alone might not be enough to identify you or to reveal a lot about you, but that information doesn't exist in a vacuum. Our entire persona is basically out there and with combining information from social media and just a couple other sources can paint a pretty accurate picture of who we are. You know, in my former world, um, you know, it was called OPSEC, right? And, and even if for our family members, you, you know, you, you, we're very reserved with the type of information that you share. And what I've observed in the many years, because I started my military career in 1992, and by the time we got out, it was a, when I retired 20 years later, it was a struggle to kind of get people to, to kind of think about what they're doing. And, and this would happen like if we weren't, when we were on deployment, we were getting ready to pull into a port and you weren't supposed to be, uh, you know, searching for hotel rooms within 48 hours before pulling in, right? Cause there were mm -hmm. some rules out there and, and, but, and you could absolutely fingerprint, you know, activity and, and, and movement. And I think we take it for granted. And, and the example you give, you know, and there's a lot of people who are going to be like, well, that could never happen where I'm at or anything. It's absolutely not true. Open source research is absolutely alive and well, uh, you know, it happens from competitive, investigation work, right? Companies, comp uh, corporate espionage, alive and well, thanks to the digital world. Cyber criminals. Listen, the movies that we watched growing up of, of the mafia and strong arming and everything, all that stuff is kind of, it's moved to the shadows of sorts. So it really is this thing that everything ultimately becomes an individual personal risk decision, mm -hmm. you know, which in its aggregate puts enterprises at risk you know, and the amount of information and how you communicate and whatnot is, uh, it can surely be a, a, just have very bad consequences. So how can organizations avoid these patterns? Well, I think one of the biggest and most important things they can do is to practice privacy by design, which is just this idea of incorporating privacy into every single step as you develop. So there's seven core tenets of privacy by design. Isaka does have a book on that if you're interested. But the reason privacy by design can be so helpful is it can actually prevent those unintended or unknown dark patterns from really having harm. So the example I'll give, uh, one of the things that privacy by design says is that privacy should be proactive, not reactive, um, and that it should be the default setting. So if privacy is the default setting, automatically your social media posts shouldn't be shared with everyone. It should be shared with a limited audience. Your birth date shouldn't be shared with everybody. It should be shared to a limited audience. And then that way, even if you accidentally have something in your system that's promoting oversharing or over collecting information, you have other mechanisms in place that can help limit the harm that those dark patterns, whether intentional or unintentional, may cause. So that's one of the things that I would highly recommend. 
The other big thing is that privacy teams need to collaborate with other groups. I know we were kind of picking on marketing a little bit earlier, but I think it's really important that privacy work with other teams to understand what they're doing and educate them about what dark patterns are. That example we talked about, right, of I hate saving money, that's probably not intended to be a dark pattern. It was probably somebody on a marketing team who thought it would be a really catchy way to get people to give their information. However, if a privacy professional could have been involved in that decision, they could have explained why that probably wasn't the best way to go and perhaps a way to wordsmith it. So it's important to work with marketing, but of course, also user experience and user interface teams. Uh, we talked about how that's one of the very common ways that we see privacy dark patterns manifest. But there's so many areas that privacy professionals can work with to help address privacy dark patterns. One of the other key areas could be communications, right? We talked about how frustrating those long jargon-filled privacy notices are, but maybe there's a way to work with the communications team to, in addition to providing that notice, also have something that's a little bit easier to understand, but also very accurate about what is happening with your data. And then I think the final thing that's important to consider is just accessibility. Um, knowing who your data subjects are. Are they colorblind? If so, how does that affect the way that you design your website? Are they not very digitally literate? In which case it needs to be very easy to access privacy settings and to get into privacy menus. But ultimately, doing all of those things can really help limit the harm that can happen. Um, and I think it's important to know that odds are there might still be a couple dark patterns lurking somewhere. But if you do those things, especially practicing privacy by design, you can limit the harm that comes to your data subjects. So, wow, there's a whole lot to unpack there. There's three things I kind of want to just dive into here real quick. So we with privacy by design, obviously, you know, you said in all phases, arguably probably the most important is in your requirements generation really early on. So let me ask you, because security industry dealt with this for many years, right, where and it ended up being bolt on, right, because it wasn't we had all these systems all these services were out there in the wind and then we're going to append security to it and, and bolting on security doesn't work. So is, is that kind of what's happening in the privacy world right now? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons that a lot of people who don't work in privacy think privacy is this cost center that wants to stop us from doing things. And it's like, no, if you included us early on, we could have found a way to make it work. But yeah, that bolt on nature of privacy unfortunately, is pervasive in a lot of organizations. Okay. So next thing, you know, we're just going to walk, walk the dog right down this line here is how many privacy professionals are out there and you're small to me, you know, we talk about, you know, talent shortage of, of security people or IT people and you're smaller to medium enterprises. They don't, maybe they've never even heard of a privacy professional. Where do they go for assistance? That's a really good point. Um, so a lot of organizations have a privacy professional who's also a security professional who's also doing a thousand other things. Um, so this can be a real challenge. Well, one of the things that we're seeing a lot of organizations do is rely on outside consultants or contractors for certain projects. Um, that's okay for a temporary period of time, but I don't think it's the best way to go moving forward. I think one of the best things that privacy professionals can do, especially if they're the lone privacy professional at their organization, is to educate others in their organization about what privacy means, right? You can 
teach someone to fish or you can give them a fish. I think it's kind of that. So if human resources understands, okay, what is privacy all about? What information should I be collecting? Shouldn't I be collecting? What do I need to tell them? That allows privacy professionals to continue to do their job, but ensure that other areas of the organization are acting with privacy in mind. It's not going to be perfect, but I think it's as good as somebody can do if they have very limited resources. No, that's a great point. Um, so last point here is you brought up accessibility. And, and arguably, it's one of the things that I think that we largely overlook, right? You know, mm-hmm. we think about how far IT standards and, and systems development is coming. I, and I do believe like a lot of that's just, it's typically baked in, right? It, and there's enough accessibility laws across the globe to cover that. But to your point here is, when you're adding features, is there a subsequent accessibility view on it, right? And, and if not, because having d- dealt with some of this in the credentialing world, right, there, the, the, the level of entry there is, you know, that's an, not an undue burden, right? And it has to be reasonable. So to your point, like for me, if you used the one example earlier where if somebody was colorblind and, you know, and you have to factor that in, or if the X is very subdued and somebody has a color deficiency and can't actually discern the two, then you have a problem there that's it really was easily rectified up front if somebody had actually considered that. Yeah, I think that's one of the huge issues, one of the huge issues that we just need to work on in general, Um, not just in privacy dark patterns, but just in web design in general, also in the way we write and everything. I think accessibility needs to be a bigger focus. Um, But yeah, the the color issue is one big thing to consider, but it's also just kind of knowing a little bit about your users. If everybody's coming from a mobile device, what does it look like to get to your privacy settings from a mobile device versus desktop? Because there have been some websites I've gone to where I can't scroll all the way over to access everything and then I have to go to a desktop to do it. So that's one of the things to consider. It's also important to consider culture. In different cultures, there's different connotations for certain colors. So think about that. Are you potentially tricking people in this one country into giving up their privacy simply because green has a different meaning there or whatever the case may be? But I think there's something about knowing who you're serving, what their needs are, and potentially even just asking them if you have a survey that you can conduct or you know, see what do, what is it that they need? What can you be doing better? What are their limitations? What are their preferences? And really designing for them to ultimately ensure that when they do give you their consent, they mean it. You just brought up that example. And the thing that comes to mind is, I don't know about you, but I've really, I've increasingly been using the dark mode on every device, right? And it's one of those things that, you know, you wonder whether they're actually looking at that or whether they're just accepting the default you know, for like the platform, like, you know, if you're, especially on mobile, cause let's, let's be honest, like we are increasingly a mobile first world anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, those are, I, it's very hard pressed to find a really prominent desktop thing, you know, cause even where we talk, you know, desktop, it's really laptops, right? Yeah. Typically with KVMs, the external monitors or whatnot. Well, I'll tell you what, this was absolutely informative. I hope that all of our viewers got as much out of it. Please, um, as part of this recording, we'll drop the link to the article, share it with others, generate the conversation, um, I'm sure there's probably an engage privacy mm-hmm. channel for our members to actually go to. I want to thank Safia for your time. This was absolutely wonderful. Thank you. 
Right, I appreciate it. And that's a wrap for today. I'm John Brandt, and this was CyberPros. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To listen to more podcasts from ISACA, please visit isaka.org slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for upcoming episodes.